Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we thank you for the life of your Holy Spirit you are pouring into us. And Lord, we want to receive more and more of you and we want to grow deeper and deeper in you. So help us to be fed this morning and to receive your word today, to listen to you and to respond to you together. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Now today we're looking at the topic of ministry and time. For those who are new amongst us or visiting today, we're going through a series in our church where we're looking at the challenges of serving God in our church in our modern society. Today we're talking about the use of our time. And, you know, there's some topics which I think uh, we, well, we do, we just come back to and deal with every year. Have a, make sure you get a sermon in on money every year because we need to talk about money. Make sure you get a sermon about sex in every year because you need to talk about sex. And I would put the time factor in every year. Make sure you talk about time because we all struggle with these issues. We struggle with time. In our society, everyone is busy. We use it almost as a greeting. We say, how are you going? Keeping busy. And it just flows out as your greeting. And what we're saying when we're saying, are you keeping busy? We're saying, are you doing well? Are you doing okay? Because if you are busy, then you are good. It's funny, isn't it? Now that I've said that, it will really annoy you. It really annoys me. It bugs me all the time now. It just flows out into our conversation. And I said, yeah, keeping bit. I said that again. But that's the way we do our, our conversation. Now, we don't want to, of course, be doing nothing. There's nothing worse than sitting at home with nothing to do. But there is a problem when our busyness is a burden for us and it's stifling our spiritual life. And it is a big issue for us in the context of ministry. Uh, Some people are far too busy to serve God, to be involved, actively involved in ministry. On the other hand, another problem is that some people are way too busy in serving God, in being involved in ministry. And they're so busy doing stuff for God, they have no time to be with God. Now... Um, today, I'm not actually going to do what I originally planned to do today. So if you've come this morning looking at the title saying Time Poor World, actually we're going to do the most of what I planned today. We're going to do that next week. So you've got to come back next week for that one. Um, but what I'm going to do today is, is actually follow where Linda has led us in thinking about what are the basics we need to have a fruitful, growing life. Firstly, we're going to have a look at the life of Jesus and how he dealt with the crowds and demands of time in his life. Mark chapter 1. Jesus in Mark chapter 1, you get this word immediately, constantly throughout Mark chapter 1, because Jesus is on the move immediately, immediately, immediately. And Jesus is swamped by the crowds. And so verse 28, for example, Mark 1 verse 28 At once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding regions of Galilee. Jesus is famous. Verse 32, 
That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Jesus knows about tiredness. Jesus knows about being in demand. Jesus knows about having the crowds in his face, wanting his time, wanting his attention. But verse uh, verse 35 What does Jesus do? Rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. He got away from the crowds, and he was on his own, and there he prayed. Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him. They knew where to go. They knew where Jesus' favorite prayer retreats were. He probably took them with him often. So they knew, okay, you go that one, you check out that one, you check out that one. They knew where to find Jesus. He was praying. And so they went and they found him. And they said, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. We've booked appointments all day long. There's been such demand. Look at your schedule today. What are you doing up here? We've got a busy day ahead. And Jesus said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. Jesus is in control of the crowds. Jesus is under demand of the crowds, but he's also in control, and he is being guided by his Father, and his Father has given him fresh instructions. He's not in slavery to the crowds. He takes a different direction, and guess what? The crowds are disappointed. Bad luck. Jesus is following his Father. In chapter 3, verses 7 to 9, Jesus is in again in demand from the crowds. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. A great crowd followed. Uh, Verse 9, verse 8, when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. He told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed so many. What does Jesus do? In demand of the crowds. 3 verse 13, he retreats up a mountain. Uh, Bring it up, thanks, Tim. 3 verse 13. He went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him, and he appointed 12 his disciples. I mustn't have that one, do I? Never mind. He, He retreats to the mountain. He calls his disciples to come with him. One more example, chapter 6. He sent the 12 disciples out on mission, They've had a, a fairly uh, heavy schedule. And so they come to Jesus, they return to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Many were coming and going. They had no leisure even to eat. And they, wait, and they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. So Jesus takes his disciples and say, it's time for a treat. It's time to get away. It's time to get back uh, to have time alone with God together. But unfortunately, the crowds twig onto what Jesus is up to and they ambush his holiday. How awful is that? It's like going away on holiday to the Sunshine Coast and looking down the corridor of your holiday apartment and there's folk from work or folk from church and I wanted a break. But all the crowds, they follow Jesus. And so Jesus serves them. Jesus blesses them. But at the end of that story of the feeding of the 5,000, what does Jesus do? He made his disciples get in the boat, go before him to the other side. 
he dismisses the crowd. After he'd taken leave of them, got to get back up that mountain to pray. Got to get back up that mountain to pray. Jesus is in control of his time. People could be saying, why do you waste so much time up the mountains? Why do you waste so much time getting on all those boat trips? Because you can't get a crowd on a boat. And Jesus is spending time with his disciples and he's spending time with his father, allowing himself the time to recharge in ministry so that he can minister in power. All right, well, when we think about time, uh, there's a story which you might have heard people talk about, the time management story. It's t- expert on time management. Uh, he's giving a lecture, and so he gets a big bucket on the table. And he gets these rocks, and he starts filling up this bucket with rocks. Gets to the, gets the top. And he says, okay, guys, is the bucket full? They say, yes. He says, no, it's not full. He gets out gravel, a jar of gravel, and he starts pouring it over the rocks and the gravel sprinkles down, spreads through the the rocks. Gravel starts filling up. He turns to his class and says, is the bucket full? And now they know where he's going with this and they say, "Mm, yeah, probably not. They say, you're right, it's not full. He gets sand, starts filling the bucket with sand. Sand filters down, fills, fills up. Is the bucket full? No, it's not full. You're right. He gets a, a, a jug of water. He pours the water into the bucket. Fills it up. He says, what's the point of the story? What's the point of this illustration? Student puts his hand up and says, you can always get more stuff into the bucket than you think. He says, no. He says, unless you put the big rocks in first, you won't get them in at all. The big rocks have to go in first. What are the big rocks which you need to be putting there in your life? What are the big priorities? What are the most important things? Are you trying to cram too much into your life? Well, we're going to talk, as I say, more about time and how you are handling your business and what are the pressures, what are the dangers, what are the warnings which we need to be looking at and carefully assessing in working out how we live our schedule. But I want to talk positively this morning and talk about the three priorities, the three big rocks which you do need to put into your life to have a healthy relationship with God. And what we're going to do is, uh, those of you who've been doing Gospel Life, apologies, you'll have seen some of this stuff before, but it'll be good revision for you. Um, The three big priorities which we've been talking about in Gospel Life is up, in, and out. We need three dynamic relationships which Jesus has. Jesus has a relationship upward with God. Jesus keeps on going to the mountain to get with God. Jesus cultivates this personal relationship with God. Secondly, Jesus has a relationship inward with his disciples who he invests in. And so Jesus constantly spends a a, a huge amount of time with just 12 disciples. 
And he sends the crowds away and he invests in his 12 disciples and he speaks to them and he encourages them and he debriefs with them and he lives with them. His second priority of life is inward to his discipleship community. And his third priority of life is outward. Jesus lives with a passion for the needy, for the hurt, for the lost, for the sick, for those who live in darkness. Now what tends to happen is we as Christians and we as a church and we as community groups, we get good at at one of those things or maybe two of those things, but we lack a third and our life is out of balance. And so, for example, if uh, if we bring up the, um, the triangle picture, thanks Tim, if we are just living up our life is just purely all about up, our relationship with God, nothing else matters, then we can term you a mystic monk. You know, you don't need other people. You don't have any relationship with the world. It's all about just you and your personal, lovely, spiritual relationship with God. You live in a cave or something, and all you need is God. That's unhealthy. But on the other hand, you could just have a relationship inward. Um, And if if all you've got is inward then you might be a social butterfly. You don't really have a relationship with God. You don't really have an impact on the world around you. Really, ask yourself, it's possible that people come to church and really why are you just, you just enjoy the social time. It's just the, the social relationships which you enjoy. I hope you do enjoy the social relationships, but if you've got nothing more than just a social connection to people here at church, then you're missing something very, very important. Two things important. Or the third option is if you're just purely living in outward mode, then you are a wandering sheep because you've got no relationship with God, you've got no relationship from people with church, no significant relationships, and really you're just wandering because the only relationships which influence you in your life are the relationships with people who don't know Jesus. Now those are three obvious ones which are living out of balance. Um, It's the three inner ones, which perhaps are more subtle, which get two out of three right. Firstly, we start with the up and in sector. If you've got a relationship with God and you've got great relationships with Christians, then we can call you the holy huddler. Because you can can talk the talk. And you've got wonderful friendships at church. But you've got no impact on the world. You're missing something. That's an unbalanced life. You're a holy huddler. Or it may be that you've got the up and the out thing happening. You've got, you're, you're, you know, you've got a lovely, keen, strong relationship with God. And you've got a fervent passion to go and make a difference in our world. But essentially, you're doing it on your own. You're not being supported. No one's holding you accountable. No one's challenging you and speaking words of truth into your life. You're just out there on mission for God, doing it on your own. Not a healthy place to be. Or the third sector is the busy activist. This is the person who's got great relationships with people at church. They've got involved in every kind of ministry and mission, but they are so busy doing things for church and doing mission in the world. They are just so busy running from one Bible study to one kids club to to youth group to, to ladies group that they've got no time to actually spend with God. Their life is out of balance. The healthy disciple has all three. They have the up, they have the in, 
and they have the out. They've got, they, they are constantly uh, developing a relationship with God. They are constantly investing in relationships with fellow Christians. And they are intentionally pushing out to impact people outside of their comfort zone who don't know Jesus and to bring blessing to the community. Now ask yourself, what are you strong in? Up, in, or out? Which is the strongest? Which is your weakest? Is it up? Is it in? Or is it out? Which one of those sectors best reflects your life? Which is the strongest for you? Which is the weakest for you? These are the big rocks which you need to make sure are present in your life. And if you're missing one, if one is weak, then I just want to send you away this morning with the challenge. We'll address that and do something to address that balance and to bring balance back into your life. Of course, you may need to think, is my relationship with God one of the big rocks at all? Or is, it, is, is he just a, a little pebble which I'm fitting room in after I've got the big rock of career and the big rock of paying off mortgage and the big rock of my hobby? If I've crammed all those in and then God's a little pebble which just, I'll fit him in, when he, I'll fit him in as an afterthought. Is your relationship with God one of the big rocks? We're going to watch a little video which explains this concept. Then we're going to pray. I just want to send you away this morning by thinking, what is it for you, up, in, or out? Which is your strongest? Which is your weakest? And what are you going to do about that? What do you need to change in your schedule? And what I would say is look at your month and don't just say, don't go away with a vague, fuzzy thought and say, yeah, that was a nice little thought. It's a nice way of thinking about it. Well, what is going to change in your month? When are you going to do up? When are you going to do in? When are you going to do out? What does that look like in your month? Okay, let's watch this video and then we'll pray together. To be a disciple means we're learning to be like Jesus, growing in his character while learning to do the things he could do, developing his competencies. It's about character and competency. To do this, we increasingly pattern our life after the life of Jesus. So one of the questions we have to ask is how Jesus would pattern his life if he had your job, if he had your personality type, your family situation, lived where you lived, or made the same amount of money that you make. When we examine the life of Jesus in the Gospels, what we see emerge is a particular way of relating to the world around him. He is very intentional in how he used his time to invest in certain kinds of relationships. It's the pattern of his whole life and ministry. Put another way, Jesus had three great loves that his entire life oriented around. In Mark 9, 2 through 29, we see Jesus go up a mountain to pray. But this wasn't abnormal for Jesus, was it? Throughout his life, he was constantly getting away from the crowds and everyone else to spend time with his first love, attending to the upward dimension of his life, his relationship with his father. We then see him come down the mountain and run straight into the people he's investing his life into, his disciples. Jesus was never ambiguous about who his spiritual family was. In attending to the inward dimension of his life, Jesus spent more than 50% of his time with just his spiritual family and no one else. But then, 
he steps out into the full brokenness of the world, driving out an evil spirit from a troubled boy. Jesus attends to the outward dimension by dealing with sin head on. He's concerned with how sin affects individuals, how each person is separated from God because of their sin and doomed because of it. And he's concerned that when you get a bunch of sinful people together, they create systems of sin and injustice. Sin creates individual problems and communal problems. Jesus stepped out and brought hope to both. Three great loves. He was deeply connected to his father. He was constantly investing in those his father had given him to disciple and to be spiritual family with. And he entered into the brokenness of the world with good news and asked for a response individually and communally. To be disciples of Jesus, we pattern our life in the same way that Jesus did, up, in, and out. Most people are naturally good at one. They're okay at a second, and they're fairly bad at a third. But rather than simply playing to our strengths, we commit to be learners. The invitation of Jesus is to pattern our life after his, to learn his ways, and to let his power be made perfect in our weakness. But we also recognize that because a collection of Christians is the body of Jesus, we want the full expression of Jesus, not just parts of it, so that these three dimensions saturate community life as well. Whether it's a group of eight people or a group of 8,000, when a group of people is committed to truly being the body of Jesus, the Holy Spirit begins stoking the fires of a red-hot center by which people can't help but be drawn into the warmth of. When we have a spiritual family learning to live into up, in, and out in a communal way, people the Lord has prepared can't help but be drawn in because this community is the gospel made visible. Well, friends, I just want to uh, challenge you and encourage you to take this seriously, the issue of your time, how you invest in these three th key things is critical for your relationship with God. Absolutely critical. So take this seriously. Do the audit. Let's pray together. Father, let your life flow through us. The life of your Holy Spirit. Let us be increasingly drawn upwards to you to delight in you, to be empowered by your spirit, to enjoy you. Let us be increasingly going inwards in relationships to one another as we serve one another and love one another and encourage each other in our faith. And Father, we pray that as your Holy Spirit is sent to us and sent within us, Lord, so, that we so may we be going out. May we be reaching out and impacting and blessing those around us in our life whom you've placed there. Father, help us to make these the big rocks in our life, which come first. So do your work within us, Father, we pray. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.